and welcome to Resistance Radio. All right, I've been off for a month, so we got a lot of catching up to do. But uh, you know, let me let me first start by we are listener supported radio, and look, I've been off. Uh, it's it's been a month since I've been on WBAI or P- WPFW. So um, I've been doing the show, for, and for those of you who are who care to to hear, you can see my Facebook live stream of the shows that I've done over the last three weeks that never aired on radio. You can also go to my podcast, which is Resistance Radio with John and Regan, and uh, and find those shows. And and again, I've done you know shows for the last three weeks. They just haven't aired anywhere, uh, except for on Facebook and uh, in the uh, podcast sphere. So, um, but no, I I it's good to be back, and I'm glad to be addressing a radio audience as well as those who who uh, do take the effort to seek and find us in uh, you know uh, on these other platforms. Um, a lot has transpired in a month, but, uh, but again, let me first reiterate some of what Reggie said. We are listener supported radio. We need your support. We, we need your support at both WBAI and WPFW. We are listener sponsored radio. Um, we in, in New York in particular, we find ourselves in a little different situation than some of the other Pacific stations because of the cost of our, uh, of our tower fees, our transmission fees and that kind of stuff. So, um, we, we oftentimes find ourselves a little bit under the gun. So we do ask that you go to give to WBAI.org and um, make your contribution. Become a sustainer. Become a WBAI buddy. Do it in the name of this program, and I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, maybe I won't be off for a month <laughs> the, the, the next time. Um, and look, I understand. I understand that those hearings went on, and, and maybe I'll even talk a little bit about some of what happened with the January 6th hearings. Uh, some interesting stuff there. Um, I don't know that I could have competed with some of the, the latest things that, uh, that, that transpired, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but again, go to, go to the pledge line, go to 212-209-2950, or go online to give to WBAI.org and make a contribution of any size, whatever you can do. But do something. Please do. If you're listening to the station in New York, then please support the station. If you're listening in, in Washington, D.C. or in the, the areas around, or if you're listening online and you have an affinity to D.C.'s radio or, or New York's radio, then, you know, again, make the call. The number in Washington is 202-588-9739, or you can go to WPFWFM.org and make a contribution. And it's the same thing. You can become a sustaining member. You can do a one-time donation. You can do a time donation. Whatever uh, fits and works for you. But if you're listening to the show, if you're listening to the station, I really do ask that you that you step up. I mean, we know the percentage of people who who contribute versus the uh, percentage of people who listen is there's there's quite a bit of disparity. Um, and and I know not everybody can can uh, contribute. So if you can and you're able, then please do. Um, all right. So let me uh, get to it. I am it, again good to be back. It's been a month. Lots of stuff has happened. Um, Supreme Court gone wild a little bit. We'll talk about some of that. Um, and some of it came home, I mean, to from a Native standpoint. Uh, yeah, we saw Roe overturned. We, we saw this, the, that dividing line between the separation of church and state uh, dissolve. All of a sudden, prayer's back in the school. You know, so all those evangelicals who, who seem to think that everything that's wrong with the world is because uh, prayer was taken out of the school, um, they got their wish. Now, that's not the majority of the people, but it's the majority of the court as it exists today, thanks to Donald Trump. So this is where we're at. I mean, we also had um, uh, a ruling that I'm going to talk about today, and it'll be the bulk of what I talk about, which was a way to almost not overturn a decision from a couple of years ago called McGirt versus Oklahoma, but in this latest iteration of this court, which really, the only difference between this court and the court in 2020 was, is, is Amy Coney Barrett replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And that's a big difference. Um, so in the McGirt case, uh, you had Neil Gorsuch, one of the, the conservatives, I guess, lining up with Breyer, Sotomayor, um, uh, Ginsburg, and, and Kagan. In the ruling yesterday, you had, on the losing side, Gorsuch, Breyer, Kagan, and Sotomayor. No Ginsburg, because Ginsburg's replacement is now with Kavanaugh and Roberts and Thomas uh, and Alito. Um, 
and I'll get into that a little bit, but let me, let me just touch on a few other things um, that you may have missed if you were only uh, catch out, catch the show on radio. Um, the January 6th stuff has been uh, pretty incredible. And I don't, I'm not going to say that I've listened to it religiously, but you know, I do happen to catch some of it. And I got to tell you what I, what I heard this, this week with the temper tantrums that, uh, that Donald Trump has thrown in, in everything from throwing his cheeseburgers against the wall uh, in the, in the white house uh, to taking his little hands and trying to wrap them around the neck of a, uh, of a secret service agent and trying to steer the uh, presidential limousine from the back seat. Um, just incredible stuff. I mean, look, if you are a Trump fan, I think even Fox News, you know, wondered if the, uh, this, this testimony from um, Cassandra, uh, is it Hutchinson? Something like that. Hutchinson, I think it was. Yeah, uh, you're right. Um, whether that may have turned some people. I mean, she came across as very credible, very detailed, her delivery was on point. She um, was very sure of her answers, and it sounds like she's a you know uh, a pretty good note taker. So she had a lot of the stuff documented. Um, this is just some crazy stuff. I mean, all I can say is congratulations, America. You've really come a long way. <laughs> I mean, between what we saw in that last presidential administration, and, and look, and I'm not a big Biden fan either. So don't don't take anything that I say against Trump as as somehow propping up Biden. Um, but um, what we saw, and, and of course, his deconstruction of the Supreme Court is, is a major issue, and, and we're facing some of that. But before I, again, before I get into the, the, the court in this, in, in this one ruling in particular, um, I do have to say, as many of you know, I've been fighting the mascot issue at my old high school in Cambridge, New York. And uh, I convinced uh, with others, um, the, the, the board last year, the school board, to retire their Indians mascot. And this is a, this is a predominantly, and I, when I say predominantly, I mean 95, 98% white community. And they run around calling themselves Indians. They, they play Indian. It's, it's, and, and it's mostly the alumni. It's not even the students so much. It's mostly these guys who peaked in high school who, who just feel like they've got to maintain this uh, uh, you know, attachment to their school mascot. And again, native mascots get this more than any place else and any other type of, I mean, nobody runs around, you know, emulating, an, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, a cougar or a lion or, you know, an eagle or whatever else. But boy, if you, if you were a Indian or a warrior or a redskin, you know, you, you have people literally saying, I'm going to be an Indian till I, till the day I die, even though, you know, they're, they're almost, you know, <laughs> they're almost translucent. They're so white. So no, it's 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 just one of these crazy things. But I did convince, you know, with others, the board to retire the mascot last year. Well, then three weeks later, as new board members got seated, they rescinded that um, that resolution to retire. And when they did that resolution to retire, they listed all of the reasons. You know, every everything from the native territories that uh, had, had offered statements and resolutions on the issue, um, the American Psychological Association, the New York Association of School Psychologists, um, 20 years of the New York um, uh, Education Department calling for the removal of native mascots, you know, the contradiction of a lot of what is now considered these uh, diversity, equity, inclusion policies, and how a native mascot or a race-based mascot that stereotypes one specific people is, uh, you know, stands in stark violation of any kind of pro policy or program that you could even uh, you know, envision under that that title. But all of it. I mean, they, they listed all of it. And including how maintaining a native mascot was a contradiction to that school's current diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, program. So they listed all that stuff, and then they retired it. A month later, they rescinded that with no explanation, no reason. They didn't, they didn't say how they resolved the conflicts that were mentioned in the previous month. They didn't say what new revelation um, could have caused this, this board to, uh, to make a, a different ruling. The only thing that happened was, was a couple of people were seated on that board uh, who ran on just a pro-mascot platform. So they, they just did it in, in what would be later determined to be an arbitrary and capricious manner. And I say that because when they rescinded it, five families in the town went ahead and, uh, and petitioned the New York State Department of 
uh, education, the commissioner, who is Dr. Uh, Betty Rosa, um, took their, uh, their petition and made a ruling, you know, back last fall that said, look, what you did was wrong. You know, you, you offered no explanation. You just, you flip-flopped on this thing um, in a way that just defies any explanation. And it didn't, I take it back, it didn't defy any explanation. It came without any explanation. But she also said, even if you hadn't overturned the, the, uh, the resolution to, to retire this mascot three weeks earlier, I still would have ruled that you have abused your discretionary powers by introducing, reintroducing this, this native mascot in the face of what's happening in, in society. I mean, you, you got the, the Washington football team that's you know, dumped its name, the, the Cleveland baseball team that's dumped its name, schools all over the country uh, you know, have, have been retiring and, and showing enough respect to do so. The, uh, again, for, for over 20 years, the, the, the commissioners of uh, New York State Department of Education have condemned this practice, basically said, look, it isn't an honor. Anybody, any of you who make the argument that you're doing this to honor Native people, well, it ain't Oregon. And so she said, you, you, not only did you make a ruling that was purely arbitrary and capricious, or a, a resolution, you you behaved in a way that abused your discretionary authority. So she told them they had to get rid of it. In fact, it, it's got to be gotten rid of by July 1st, according to uh, Dr. Uh, Rosa. Well, then the school appealed it. They appealed it to state Supreme Court and spent tens of thousands of dollars of much-needed school resources to fight for this silly mascot. And that ruling came down uh, just last week. So... While I was off, you know, there, there was some movement. And look, and I, on my last show, I talked about, you know, Crystal People Stokes, you know, a, uh, a prominent politician from Western New York who is the uh, New York State uh, Assembly Majority Leader who basically told the Senecas that they, um, uh, they could no longer, you know, claim racism uh, because of the shooting that took place in Buffalo. I mean, it's basically what she said. And, and I... And I've talked about Deb Haaland, Kathy Hochul, and now Crystal People Stokes. <laughs> so it sounds like I'm attacking women. And I really don't want to make it sound like I'm attacking women. And, and, and I'm not. I'm attacking these three because of what they did, not because of their gender. And in fact, I think it would be great if women, when they do reach these, uh, these positions, that they truly broke the glass ceiling instead of polished it for the white men that put it in place. That's what I wish. But that's not what really happens. Except in this Cambridge Central School mascot issue. I got to tell you, Dr. Betty Rosa, I'm proud of you for doing your job. Not just for ruling in the way that I wish you ruled, but for doing your job. Letitia James, I got to tell you, you had to fight for Dr. Rosa's uh, a ruling in state Supreme Court. And I read your, your filings and you did a great job. I, again, I appreciate you doing your job. And the judge in the case, Sarah McGinty, I got to tell you, I, I read your ruling and I think that you checked all the boxes and you, you made it very clear that you weren't there to, to even really second guess Rose's ruling, but, but to determine whether she had followed the law and, and you did your job. So while I may have been bashing three women in politics, I got to tell you, these three women that, uh, that did the right thing relating to this mascot issue, I got to, I got to praise them. And, and, um, and it just shows you that there, that you can do your job in spite of the political pressures, in spite of, you know, the, the powers of white supremacy and, you know, and the male dominant culture that's out there. You know, look, any of you women who, you know, manage to, to break some of those gender barriers, just don't, don't treat it like you're, you're happy to be there. Do the job and do the job that you know you need. Don't do it the way the men, the white men who had it before you did it. So I just had to throw, throw that in there. And <laughs> because I don't want to come across as somebody who's like just bashing women for the sake of bashing women. That's not the case. I, I, I feel very strongly that, and I'm not even saying I should hold women to a higher standard, but I'm just saying I'm not going to hold you to the standards of a white man because I think that's lowering the bar. So 
All right, now let me talk about the Supreme Court. Obviously, the Supreme Court has been um, really taking advantage of its, uh, of its supermajority on the conservative side with, uh, with Trump's three appointee, appointees. Uh, although I do have to say that uh, um, uh, Kentucky Jackson is, uh, is being um, uh, sworn in, and, uh, and I'm glad to, you know, I, I hope she does the job as well as, you know, the, uh, the other two liberal women on, on the court. Uh, because I, I've listened and I've seen what uh, uh, Kagan and Sotomayor have written over the years, and frankly, I'm more impressed with their work than, frankly, than, than the work of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I know people want to praise her, but um, so Roe versus Wade was was overturned, and that concerns me on a bunch of different levels. Not only is it a complete violation of women's reproductive rights, but it's this whole idea that the court is trying to separate the country in a way that states have more and more power all the time. This is a state's rights issue. And, and look, as Native people, we're constantly fighting the power of the state. Most of the time, our battles are with the state more than they are with the federal government. It, it wasn't always the case. I mean, when they stopped sending in the, uh, the army to kill us, um, it, it turned out that our biggest adversary after that uh, would, be, would be the states. And so this idea of empowering the states even more and, and, and again, eliminating any kind of uniform laws that would, you know, that would bind the union, that's not what's happening here. And of course, a lot of this stuff is evangelical uh, ideology that's creeping in. So not just the abortion issue, but this football coach who, who brings you know his his favorite football players into the middle of the uh, the field after a game to do a prayer? I mean, the school told me he had to stop, and so he sued, and he goes all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court says, "No, no, he can do that." So all for all of these years that there's been this effort to stop using schools as a place to promote Christianity, and that's what that's what's behind all this stuff. Um, that's all been erased by this court in a six-three decision. Again. Um, you, you had uh, Sotomayor, uh, Kagan, and, and Breyer, who's, not, who's now gone, uh, using judgment, and the, and the other six just using their, their Christian evangelical ideology to, to guide them. Not the Constitution, not none of that stuff. I mean, you also had, it's funny because as much as the, the court is, is um, affirming states' rights, they actually condemned and ruled and struck, essentially, New York State's uh, gun law. So while they empower states to, you know, to uh, criminalize abortion, they have no problem using uh, overarching and overreaching federal authority to condemn um, any kind of gun control, you know, that, uh, that states may pursue. So, I mean, it, it, it even shows their inconsistency um, on, in terms of rationale, but consistency with, with how far right this, this court has gone. So, and that brings me to, uh, to the case that, that affects us directly. In, well, not me, but affects Native people directly. And back in 2020, there was a, a case called McGirt versus Oklahoma. And this, at its core, it was a jurisdictional battle over whether the tribes could assert jurisdiction over crimes committed on their lands or whether the state could do it. And in the ruling, which, by the way, Neil Gorsuch ruled with the liberals. He, he ruled with, with, with Breyer and with uh, Ginsburg and with Sotomayor and Kagan, asserting that, that not only should Native people have the right to uh, assert its own jurisdiction over its land, but, but made the ruling, and, and again, what, what essentially was determined was that much of eastern Oklahoma still remains Native lands. It was never disestablished by the, uh, by the Act of Congress um, called the Oklahoma Enabling Act of 1906. So many people just said, oh, look at that. The court just gave uh, half of Oklahoma to the Native people. No, they didn't give it to us. <laughs> they didn't give it to the Native people. They just basically said, it's never been, it's never been taken. You know, on much, like much of the land has been taken. And, they, and whether it's an oversight or whatever else, when they passed that Oklahoma Enabling Act in 1909, apparently they, they didn't include the, the, some of these areas. And so as a result of that, they said, as such, um, prosecutions of crimes 
on that land, you know, fall in the jurisdiction of, uh, of, of tribal courts and maybe federal courts. But it, it, it basically said the states didn't have jurisdiction over the, um, the crimes committed on those lands. So as a result of that, a guy who was convicted um, of some sort of child neglect, a, a guy by the name of um, uh, Castro Huerta, he um, appealed his conviction, and he got like 35 years, um, on the grounds that where he was convicted was on native land, and, um, and as he appealed it, the, his, his conviction was, uh, was vacated. So that court, got, or that case got pushed by the state of Oklahoma. So it's Oklahoma versus Castro Huerta. Um, and in a reversal, the court, um, right along ideological lines, with the exception of Gorsuch, who, who, again, remained with the liberals on this native case, they determined that, um, that when it comes to white people, white people can't be convicted uh, of crimes on native land. So... Native people can, can prosecute Native people when a crime is committed on the land, but white people, no, nah, not so much. And, and, and so, they, so in a, in a, again, a 5-4 reversal of the McGirt ruling, they determined that, that the state has jurisdiction, criminal jurisdiction, over Native lands. I mean, and, and Gorsuch was pissed. I mean, he, he flat out said that, you know, this is, um, you know, this ruling failed uh, to honor the nation's promises towards Native people. Uh, and, of course, no big surprise to, to those of us who, who've experienced this, but, uh, but that's really where, that's really where this, this, this case has gone. And, and, again, it's a state's right thing, right? And, and, I, and, look, I said this early on when that, the leaked uh, opinion on abortion came out, was that this empowering of states' rights we already saw Texas challenging the, uh, the Indian Child Welfare Act as a violation of states' rights. And now you've got you know, uh, something that, you know, that, frankly, in my whole life, one of the things that we fought more than anything has been the uh, interference of state, uh, of state regulatory authority, jurisdiction on native lands. On everything from taxation relating to tobacco and fuel, uh, gaming issues, all of this. It's always been a constant fight. But this is like these, these just clear-cut examples of white supremacy. And look, I know Clarence Thomas is black. I, I get that. But we don't, need, we don't even need to go there. <laughs> he, he's, he's clearly uh, an advocate of white supremacy. I, you know, look, I, I, I picked on uh, Crystal People Stokes calling her a black white supremacist. Well, <laughs> let me tell you, Clarence Thomas is definitely a black white supremacist. Because mm -hmm. this whole idea... That the that the, that the courts will assert this kind of power. Look, you know, we when we talk about critical race theory, we ignore the most obvious examples of critical race theory, which is just that these laws that were passed because of the sense of superiority that the federal government feels it has over Native people, and and how they empower not only themselves but they empower the states with them to to strip Native territories of their own authority. I mean, that is by definition critical race theory. It's the intersection of race and law. And we're, this isn't just one of these co corollary or causation issues where you say, well, you know, we, we have a disproportionate number of people in prisons and we have this and, and, and it's gotta be caused by something, so you, you, so you back it out. No, we're mentioned in the, in the law. The gaming law, when they passed the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, they whipped that up out of thin air. They didn't consult with us and say, hey, can we pass a law that can help you? No, they didn't do this. Just, no, we're going to pass a law that's going to take something from you. It's going to take regulatory control of the gaming operations on your land. We're going, to, we're going to violate your jurisdiction by not only asserting federal authority over your gaming operation, but we're going to lift up the states and give them a place at the table to regulate your, your gaming as well. I mean, that is the definition of superiority, inferiority, white supremacy. And yet we're not, we're not even in the conversation. And, you know, and I'm going to say it right now. I challenge any of the universities who, you, who, who teach critical race theory in their, their law colleges to take a look at some of the laws that were passed uh, and, and some of these rulings that, that affect Native people. Because, and, I, and I'm not trying to take anything away from the, the implications 
of critical race theory as it relates to, to uh, living as a black man in the United States. But if you want to make the case that isn't just a deduction, you know, or, uh, um, or, or deductive reasoning, but y- that, are, that are specifically mentions of what, what they're going to do. I mean, look, we got the Civilization Act, which was about, again, stripping away Native identity. I mean, that's what the law was. It was, it, it was about spending money and granting authority to force assimilation uh, upon Native people. I mean, critical race theory. Um, the Indian C- uh, Citizenship Act, where Congress, both the Senate and the House, declared that Native people were hereby U.S. citizens if we lived within the um, you know, continental United States or whatever else. I mean, they just declared it. They didn't ask us. They didn't say, hey, we, we, we created a process that if you want to be a U.S. citizen, well, what if we didn't want to? You just declared it? Well, I reject that. And in fact, they knew it was rejected. So 10 years later, they passed the Indian Reorganization Act, which attempted to, to redefine what a Native person was and, and define what a federally recognized Native person was, which is a tribe, band, or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States. So twice they passed laws to try to subjugate us specifically. You know, they, they had you know, 100 years of forced assimilation and, they, and wars and, and massacres and everything else that was meant to subjugate us. But then, then they step up and they, and they pass laws to do it. I mean, this is critical race theory in its purest form. So I'm not suggesting that we don't need to, to have a broad look at, at critical race theory. But if you're not going to look at what Native people experience as a result of some of these laws, then you're missing half of, you know, half of that debate, is what, I, is what I'm saying. And you can make a solid case for any of these, these white folks who say, oh, Native, you know, or, uh, white people should not be made to feel guilty for the past. We're still living in this stuff. We still have rulings like this one here, which are the direct effects of the doctrine of Christian discovery. This idea that, that, that the white Christian nations of Europe could somehow strip Native people of their rights, their, their possessions, their land, and their autonomy. I mean, it was in, it was in 1823 that, uh, you know, that the Supreme Court justice um, basically said Native sovereignty was necessarily diminished upon, uh, upon discovery. Doesn't say how, but said it was necessary that... Just because white people showed up, white Christian people showed up, that, that we simply, uh, we ceased to be sovereign. Ruth Bader Ginsburg in 2005 reiterated that interpretation of the doctrine of Christian discovery when she, when she ruled against the Oneidas, 2005. And every day, we end up in one of these court, uh, these court proceedings, over, especially over jurisdictional matters. The ruling ends up being a part of that doctrine of Christian discovery legacy. Part of that, and I know people hate, hate it when I say it, you know, because I, I call it racist, but I also call it genocide. So I say the genocide continues. As long as you're going to get rulings like this, as long as there's an absolute failure to acknowledge our distinction and our autonomy, then, then that genocide, that forced assimilation, that forced subjugation is is par for the course. That's what, that's what the United States does. So as I'm, so when you, when, again, when you see a ruling like this, and, and I'm, look, I, I'm glad to hear Nor, Neil Gorsuch uh, really blast the court. And, and to be clear, he's not blasting the court. He's blasting those five, those five people who oftentimes he's aligned with. Obviously he's aligned with them quite often on, on most of these ideological, you know, conservative versus liberal uh, arguments. But when it, when it comes to native lands, Gorsuch is one of these guys who, who, who really felt like there was a promise made, or I should say many, many, many promises made that the United States just fails to live up to. And, and I got to tell you, this idea of granting states more power over native people is among the worst things that can happen to native people. Because what the state does and they almost do it behind closed doors. I mean, look, I, I, let me reiterate what Kathy Hochul did. Kathy Hochul shut down the Seneca Nation's gaming operations, shut them down by seizing, by freezing, I should say, 
their, their bank accounts. And she did it to extort money out of them. I mean, it, so it isn't just these red states. It's the blue states, too, that, well, look, when they feel empowered, especially over a distinct people like Native, Native people, they run with it, man. They run with it. And, and that's what we've seen. That, and, and that's my criticism to the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. That's my criticism to the failure of Deb Hallen in the Interior Department. In fact, all of the Interior Departments for the last 30 years as it relates to gaming. I mean, let's keep in mind here that the Interior Department claims to be responsible to, uh, for the United States to fulfill its trust responsibility to Native people. Now, and that sounds great, but, but when they say trust, they don't mean trust like a virtue. They mean trust like we are the trustees, like somehow we're their children. Well, I'll tell you, we are some neglected, some abused, and some, you know, some beaten down children, if that's the case. And, and this is what we see. And it doesn't matter if you stick a Native person or a Native woman in a, in a position, because she's carrying water for Joe Biden. She's carrying water for the Democrats. She's carrying water for that system, which is both Democrat and Republican. See... I think it's important people realize that the, 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 the right does not have a monopoly on racism. I mean, it's, it's not a right thing, it's a white thing. And we see it every single day. We saw it in Ruth Bader Ginsburg's ruling in 2005. It didn't matter that she was Jewish. It didn't matter that she was a liberal court justice. She could not break the system to acknowledge Native sovereignty. And this was really about the Oneidas taking land that they purchased off of the tax rolls and treating it as if it was really their land. Said, oh, no, no, you can't do that. You can own it, but you have to own it with a New York State deed. You've got to own it like white people own land, which you don't really own land. No, that's, that's, that's what Ruth Bader Ginsburg did. You know, and, and her ruling was bad on a bunch of different levels because she cites these, these cases out West that were sometimes, you know, almost 100 years old, about the, you know, about this, what they call the impossibility doctrine that said, no, it's impossible for Native people to reclaim land that was, um, that was once theirs. No matter how, how they lost that land, whether they were screwed out of it or not, it's impossible for Native people to reclaim lost land and assert jurisdiction once another jurisdiction has been asserted on it, which is not true because I live in Seneca Territory. In, uh, in 19... Um, I want to say 1990. Uh, we'll call it 1990. I, the date might be off. There was, a, there was a, an act of Congress called the, the Salamanca Lease Settlement Act. And it addressed the fact that the city of Salamanca leased most of its land, most of its municipality from the Senecas on a 99-year on a lease. And they wanted to treat it like it was a sale. But it wasn't. And so there was a settlement. And that settlement you know, caused like $60 million to be um, uh, awarded to the Seneca Nation. But it also provided a provision that allowed Senecas to reclaim last, using some of that land, that money they got, they could, they could reclaim land. And they would, could reclaim it not as trust land, not as land held by the United States for the use and enjoyment of Native people. No, this land acquisition clause of the Salamanca Lee Settlement Act allowed the Senecas to bypass the fee to trust process and all of these, these, these hoops you have to jump through for native people to reclaim lost land. It said, no, you can do it. 30 days, 30 days and it's yours. And, you know, the, there can be some, you know, dialogue about it, but at the end of the day, we are creating this, this legal path by an act of Congress that allows you to reclaim lost land and reclaim your jurisdiction and authority over that land. That's 1990. Ruth Bader Ginsburg ignored that when she said, no, no, this, uh, you know, Native people can't, can't reclaim land. We, once we use that doctrine of Christian discovery to take your land and take jurisdiction over it, which relates back to this case, because obviously you've had the state of Oklahoma asserting jurisdiction, whether, whether they had the legal authority to do it or not over, over Native lands. And in, and in what looked like was, a, was about to change the complexion of what it meant to have native land from 2020 in the McGirt decision, now it just got turned on its head because Amy Coney Barrett now sits in the, in the seat that Ruth Bader Ginsburg sat in. 
So, look, I, I know most of you listening to this thinking, well, this isn't as big a deal to us as the abortion thing is. Well, I, I got to tell you, most of you aren't going to have abortions. And I'm not minimizing the abortion uh, issue and the Roe v. Wade overturning. That's a big one. And, and whether all women will ever exercise that right to have an abortion or not isn't the point. The point that they're being deprived of it. Well, I think anytime the court does something that deprives people of their rights, it's wrong. And, you know, and they can make all their arguments about, you know, you know, originalism and constructionalism and all that other stuff associated with the Constitution. But you know it's all BS. When that Constitution was written, slavery was still a, you know, a big part of everyone who wrote that damn document. They all had slaves. Women were property. Native people were the enemy, sworn by the, by the Vatican that we needed to be purged. So don't tell me that the, that the, the U.S. Constitution is a sacred document. It isn't. It sucks. And, and the fact is, the United States is in a worse position today than it was, um, you know, and, and I don't want to make this sound like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not a MAGA person. I'm not saying make America great again. It was never great. It was always built on a house of cards. Well, those, har- those cards are starting to tumble, folks. So what am I, what am I saying? I, look, I know I just ruined everything Reggie did with that sweet music and, <laughs> and that feel-good stuff. Um, you know, I, I've, I've noticed... Don't add me into the mix. <laughs> you know, I, I always start my show with a smile and a little bit of a chuckle, and I always end it angry. Did you, did you ever notice that, Reggie? <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I think the thing is, um, all jokes aside, I think the stuff that you bring up, and particularly today, is so important. And it's so important that that even though... You know the Roe v. Ray thing is in, is is important to pay attention to, but it's not the only thing to pay attention to in regards to all that stuff. Which is one of the reasons why donating to a station like WBAI is so important. So to continue on doing what you're doing, so you can start off happy and then end up being angry. Well, I'm telling people, <laughs> you got to you got to support the station because yes. you're not going to hear much of the content you're going to hear anywhere else. I mean, uh, I, look, I do podcasts, I, I do other things, but as far as on this station, much of the stuff that I offer, you're not going to hear anywhere else. And, and look, and I'm going to cross some lines that may make a few people uncomfortable. When I start calling a, a, you know, a black politician, you know, a, a black white supremacist, yeah, that, that's troublesome to some people. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, and, and if it crosses the line, then, then at least hear me out. Even if that's not the language you want to use, at least hear me out. And look, you know, looking at this court, you also got Clarence Thomas with his wife being so much involved in this in this you know um, conspiracy campaign to, uh, to, to to disavow the last election. I mean, this thing is so ugly on so many different levels, and, and the Supreme Court is just an example of it. Uh, and, you know, and, and let's be clear here: the system is rigged. And I know I sound like Rump, Rump, I said Rump, I meant Trump. (laughs) But I say it's rigged. You've got a whole bunch of states that have, well, all states have two two senators, regardless of their population. So the fact that you got, you know, Illinois and California and, and New York with much greater populations than Montana, you know, or, or South Dakota or Vermont or Alabama, those states, Kentucky, Mitch McConnell, yeah, those states have just as much representation in such an important branch of government or part of the, the, the legislative branch of government that, that it's disproportionate in terms of how it, it, it skews things towards the, towards the right. Same with the uh, Electoral College. Look, Trump got beat by over 7 million votes in that last election. But you know what? 10,000 votes here, 30,000 votes there. And that guy's the president, just like he, like he was the first time. I mean, he lost by, by several million. What was it, three or four or five million it votes? It was three million the first time. Lost by three million votes in, in, the, in the first election and still won the presidency. Lost by seven million this time, and he's still claiming that, that he won the presidency. 
because the system is so screwed up. And look, most of you either feel powerless or are powerless to do anything about it. And, you know, so you won't, you, you won't even really solidly or, you know, seriously consider, you know, a Bernie Sanders uh, when, he, when he runs for president. Instead, you want somebody more centrist like Joe Biden, somebody to the center. And I'm sorry, Joe Biden, you can appoint, you know, women in various, various positions and people of color in various positions. But if they're only answerable to you, it's still white supremacy. Deb Haaland, look, I'm, I'm glad she got a good job. <laughs> Hopefully she takes care of her family and all that stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, she's not ours. I mean, we could argue whether you took her from us or not, but no, she was she was owned by the Democratic Party, that, you know, for you know, for most of her adult life. That's what she does. Now she worked for Laguna Pueblo, so she dedicated some of her life towards Native issues, but she was a Democrat. She was you know a major you know she was a major part of the Democratic apparatus in in New Mexico. That's how she got elected. She get, didn't get elected because because Native people you know put her there. It took a whole lot of white people to put her in Congress. And it took a white man to put her in, in this cabinet position. I don't need somebody doing token gestures. I mean, do you remember when, Reg, you remember when Mitch McConnell said, well, there's no need to talk about reparations. Uh, black people had, uh, had Obama. Oh, yeah. He made it sound like Racism. You, don't need, you don't need reparations because we gave you, as, as somehow he gave something, <laughs> we gave you a black president. Like, that was it. No. Window dressing, this idea of tokenism, and, and I, look, we can debate, you know, how much Obama did for black people or didn't do for black people. That's another show. But the, the reality is these white guys, the way they calculate um, re not just reparations, but reconciliation is, is really meaningless. You know, <laughs> so when I talk about things like truth and reconciliation associated with residential schools, I'm saying, no. Don't, don't you dare cut a, just, just cut a check. If we don't get restoration of land and autonomy back, then what you're saying is your residential schools were completely successful. They forced assimilation on Native people, and now you never have to consider us as a distinct people again. And, and you know, you might cut a check here and there. And, and as you're cutting a check, you're still keeping us impoverished. You know, I've been watching a lot of what has transpired in Buffalo since the shooting that took place on May 14th. And there's been some great conversations um, in the public sphere, on, on public radio and that kind of thing, about you know, what, how black people are responding to this thing. But we've never even been asked to weigh in. As they're doing you know, program after program to, to discuss racism, our racism has been dismissed. That's why Crystal People Stokes can say, don't you dare bring up racism. You native people, not to me, I'm black. And you know what they did to black people? They shot them in a top friendly market. And that wasn't friendly. I mean, she, she literally dismissed our claim to being oppressed because she's trying to play, she's trying to play oppression Olympics. She's saying because black people were killed by a, by a lone gunman, a, a, you know, this deranged kid, that somehow the rest of us can't claim uh, no matter how solid the proof is, I said it before, I'm going to say it again. What Kathy Hochul did to the Senecas, with the support of people like Crystal People Stokes, was a greater example of white supremacy and this superiority-inferiority dynamic than that kid grabbing an AR-15 and going to Buffalo, East Buffalo. And I'm not saying what he did wasn't bad or even worse. But I'm saying is that as an example of white supremacy, systemic racism, he may be the product of systemic racism, but his action was his. And it was widely, almost universally condemned. I haven't even heard the Proud Boys stand behind this guy or, or the NRA. Everybody condemned this thing or remained silent. <laughs> right. But you know what? People are still praising Kathy Hochul for what she did to the Senecas, including Crystal People Stokes including the mayor of Buffalo, Byron Brown. I mean, so I look, I look at how much you still have even black leaders who will support the establishment in the way that they do. And that establishment is still 
again, systemically racist. And that's a problem. And if we don't, if we don't address it, if we don't address, ra address racism, like with mascots, for instance, or with, with what kids experience in school, where do you think the hateful guys like this guy who went to Buffalo uh, come from? Where do you think the hate and the violence comes from? They're not, they don't pop out of the womb feeling that way. They are conditioned by it. And the fact that so many of us, so many of us are complicit or we ignore or we tolerate, we are tolerant of racism. We don't confront it. Not enough. All of us. I mean, I, I'd like to say I confront it more than most, but I, there are probably times that I should have said something when I didn't. And we all experience that. So as we become tolerant of some racist acts, it's almost like we're condoning it. And that's how it builds. I mean, you would think after this many years out of the civil rights movement <laughs> that we would be farther ahead. But a bunch of white guys elected Donald Trump. 64 million voted for him when he lost. There are 64 million people who are still dedicated to that fool. And why? Because he can say what they can't publicly. Mm -hmm. He gets away with it. I mean, let's face it. Throwing your, your, your double quarter pounder with cheese against the wall in the White House, <laughs> you, can, you can do that when you're not hel ever held accountable. And you don't you, have to clean it up. You don't have to clean it up. You can actually throw it with a porcelain plate and smash it against the wall. You can, you can try to grab the steering wheel in your presidential limousine, knowing nobody's going to do it. You, you can put your hands around the neck of a, a, a Secret Service agent, even though that guy could have could, could kicked his ass. Oh, he knew, he knew it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Because this guy's yeah. got this privileged life. And you know what? White people just love that. They love that this guy can, can do whatever he wants, say whatever he wants. I mean, he literally told... Told the people to not use metal detectors so people armed with guns could be at his beck and call, at his feet, at the podium. They're his people. They're he his wanted people. those people not only in front of him, and of course, in, uh, great for photo ops, but then he wanted those armed people to march down and attack the Capitol. He said it. He, you know, he's basically said this stuff. And you know what? There's a whole lot of white people who are still not just okay. They're not just okay with this indiscretion. They support it. We're not, we're a long way. We are a long way from addressing racism, folks. And, and it doesn't help matters when, as you have said, marginalized people is discriminating against other marginalized people where it's like, you know, it, it, where the people stokes. I mean, it's really a great example. That is a form of assimilation right there. Now, obviously, she can't physically assimilate, but ideologically, that's assimilation. Yeah, I mean, you find a comfortable place within those, you know, that white supremacy. If they let you play in their with their ball in their in their in their game, then and and, and you say, "Yep, I'll I'll play along. I'll be a part of what you're doing." I mean, she, I mean, she was pissed. When the Senecas went, to, went to, to meet with her and other legislators in Albany, she was pissed. And she told those Seneca counselors that she got written up badly in the New York Times. <laughs> and, and so when she says, don't you dare bring up racism after what happened to my people, who are your people? You seem to be more concerned about what's happening down in New York City than you were in Buffalo. Why? Because she knows that the powers of the Democratic Party are in New York. Mm -hmm. And she hated the idea and, you know, and, and so here's what happened, in case you don't know. I, I forgot to bring up this, this last part, now that I'm running out of time. So Crystal People Stokes heard our show. She heard my show in New York <laughs> and was pissed <laughs> off all over again. She actually contacted the lobbyist for the Seneca Nation, and she told that guy, I demand the Senecas apologize for what that guy said on radio. She wants the Seneca Nation to apologize for what I said. And, and she's pissed. I mean... What she's pissed off about is the fact that one of those counselors told me what she said. I mean, this wasn't a confessional. She wasn't hearing confession <laughs> or giving confession. She wasn't exercising lawyer-client privilege. She was a representative of New York talking to representatives of, uh, of the Seneca Nation. 
of course they were going to come back and tell people. Now, uh, the fact that somebody told me, they, the reason I was told, because they knew that I wouldn't take his lying down. In fact, the right. Seneca Nation, I've heard people from Seneca Nation say, you know what, Crystal People Stokes, you owe us an apology. Mm -hmm. We don't owe you an apology. And mm -hmm. the fact that we told John Cain and he blasted it all over Washington and New York, well, that's kind of the way it goes. You well, know, and, it, and, it also, and it also says that who says that prominent political figures don't listen to WBAI? There you go, folks. There you go. <laughs> so my show a month ago, the last time I was on, <laughs> it, it had impact. It had impact. Now, we don't know what the, what the ultimate uh, impact will be. But we know that Crystal People Stokes, the majority leader of the state assembly, heard the show and was pissed. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's one of those rare occasions that you do a program and the person you really want to reach out to, you actually do reach out to them. And that's what happened uh, on the last hey, program. Hey, hey. So. Hey, hey. But, yeah, I mean, can you, imagine, can you imagine this politician demanding an apology for what she said because they said what she said? I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. But this is, again, this is systemic racism. Because mm -hmm. it actually, it, it goes beyond, you know, extends beyond just white people. Because you have people who are beholding to white people. Deb Haaland, Kathy Hochul, well, she's white, but, you know, uh, Crystal People Stokes. And that's why I will sing the praises of Dr. Betty Rosa and Letitia James, when she does the right thing. She doesn't always. Mm -hmm. I, I had some problems with what she did in Long Island over that, uh, that monument of the Shinnecocks. But, uh, uh, and, and this judge, uh, Sarah McGinty. I'll praise them when they do their job and they do it correctly. I, you know, and if they were men, I would have praised them too. <laughs> so, but I got to tell you, we see the power of that embedded racism in we see it in, the, in politics, we see it in the courts, we see it in the media, we see it in education, and we see it um, in, in, you know, in movies and literature. We're, and, and Native people are significant victims of that. I just think it's important. Reg, I want to thank you for, uh, for participating and helping me out here. Uh, I look forward to being uh, back again next week, and uh, right. we'll do it all over again. I am John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio.